It happened right after we recorded this podcast and said, hey, why doesn't someone sign Caitlin Tui to an NIL deal? Adidas signed Caitlin to an NIL deal. So we recorded an emergency pod through in 10 minutes on Caitlin Tui going pro with Adidas and staying at NC State around the 57-minute mark. Check the show notes for the exact time. And if you want detailed show notes for every podcast, you want a second podcast every week, now is your time to sign up for the Supporters Club. This is it. The one time a year, we do a Black Friday sale. This past weekend, I gave everyone a 10-minute preview of our NCAA Recap Supporters Club podcast and said, if you use code GOAT50, G-O-A-T, 50, 50, link in the show notes, you'll save 50% off a Supporters Club membership for one year. Do it now. Now is your chance feeling super generous and it's black friday thanks to everyone who signed up once you sign up you'll be a member for life sign up today 50 percent off you sign up for a year you get an amazingly soft shirt you save on running shoes you get a second podcast every week link in the show notes code goat 50 Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Rojo and I are back from Stillwater, Oklahoma, and we'll offer our final thoughts on the 2022 NCAA Cross Country Championships, as well as take an early look ahead to 2023 and what that year will have in store. Plus, the University of Colorado has launched an investigation into its cross country team regarding body composition. What does that mean for head coach Mark Wetmore? And his assistant, Heather Burrows. And we may even have a little World Cup talk as the United States of America and England prepare to square off on Friday in Qatar. This is Jonathan Galt. I'm joined by my co-hosts, the co-founders of Let's Run.com, Robin and Weldon Johnson. Gentlemen, good morning. How are we doing? Great to be here, John. What an NCAAs. We never talk about soccer on this podcast, John. Never. We won't go there right now. Although, who knows? Maybe we'll have a change of fortune in one week from today. England could be out of the World Cup. That would be just... What if America turns it around, upsets England, and then Wales knocks them out of the tournament? There is hope, people. The website's motto is where your dreams become reality. And as Robert says, they never become reality, or very, very rarely. But there's hope, people. There's hope. Dream, dream the, dream big, dream big, because we got some audio. We got to play about Caitlin Tui and NCAA champions, and it doesn't sound good. Didn't sound good. I don't really want to talk soccer, but that would be amazing if that did happen. Just what you said, Weldon, because Weldon, Jonathan Galt said something so disgusting to me last night, so unsporting that anyone who's not even a soccer fan but is a fan of Jonathan Galt should reconsider. I was telling Jonathan, I said, this whole World Cup thing seems kind of biased and not really fair because we play England if we lose one to nothing. In the final game, England has nothing to play for. They're already in. They can just kick the ball around with their half-brother Wales, and both teams will advance with a tie. And John's like, yeah, that would be fine with me. Hell, we may want to even lose the game on purpose so we get a better seating. John talked about throwing a World Cup game. 
that, that should be immediately disqualification. That should be banned from the sport. That's worse than doping in running. To intentionally try to lose a sporting event, that's the opposite of doping. And unless you take it back, John, I want you to resign from the company immediately. It's like resting your starters. England did this in 2018. It worked perfectly. Belgium won our group. We were second. We got a very easy draw. We had to face Croatia to make the World Cup final. I mean, it couldn't have worked out better. Now, obviously, we lost to Croatia, but it's just like resting your starters before the NFL playoffs. You've earned that right by winning the first two games if we beat the United States. You're complaining. You're like, wait a minute. We we wouldn't be able to advance if, like, well, yeah, because you tied Wales. You had a chance to beat Wales. You didn't take it. And then you got to play the United States. You got to play England. Like, it's about the teams who get the most points in the group. You can't comp- you're just going to blame other teams for your lack of performance. Anyway, that's all in the future. We're not going to talk about the World Cup that much, though, uh, you know, in subsequent weeks, if England keeps playing like they did against Iran, maybe we will. But anyway, let's talk NCAA Cross. If you listened to, if you're a member of the Let's Run.com Supporters Club, you already heard our detailed breakdown on Saturday from the scene in Oklahoma. It was fantastic. You really missed out. That was a really high-quality podcast, I feel like, in terms of the content we were turning out, the interviews, the insight we shared. I was proud of the work we did, so letsrun.com slash subscribe if you want to go back and access that. I said at the time, I'm going to still say it now, that was one of the best NCAA cross-country championships ever. I think it, it was the best I've attended, certainly. And historically, I think it's hard to get much better than the men's race coming down to a tiebreaker, Northern Arizona winning their third straight over Oklahoma State. And the women's race, North Carolina State repeats as team champion. And Caitlin Tui takes down Parker Valby, comes down from 11 seconds back to win the race. The head-to-head showdown we were all hoping for came to fruition. It was awesome. It was a great weekend. I had an amazing weekend, but I would like to ask you about the greatest ever. Because wasn't there an NCAA just a couple years ago where the fifth Oregon runner passed another girl on another team? And that was the deciding thing right at the finish line. There was a picture of it. So wouldn't that surpass a tie, like to actually switch in the last few meters? Hey, no. First of all, Robert can't even cite what years, what's going on. So clearly that didn't happen. We'll talk about that men's tie. And then the Volby Tui showdown lived up to the hype. You had Nico Young up there battling for the win. Robert, there's no way you're beating this one. But a, a reader has written us i mean john has a very narrow-minded focus he said since i've been there john apparently missed the fact back in 1942 there was a tie and there was no tiebreaker i think penn state and i'm gonna go with north carolina tied or something i thought it was indiana but let me indiana i think you're right john yeah, well, I actually, all right, it was Indiana or Penn State. What I wrote was not actually inaccurate. I said it was the first time the NCAA meet had been decided on a tiebreaker, which is true. And also, we did have a reader point out, well, it was a closer finish because they actually finished tied. There was no tiebreaker. I mean, look, if you finish with the same number of points, that's the same. This was not closer than 1942, but it also was not less close. Like, they were equally close when you tie, and there's just a difference... The tie that was broken then, it wasn't this time. But here's the thing, all right. Robert, you were thinking of 2016. And it was a very dramatic race because Oregon upset Oregon upset everyone. They were, you know, huge underdogs. They beat Michigan by one point. And Maggie Schmadick finished 63rd. 
She had the same time as Jamie Phelan of Michigan. Schmadick's Oregon, Phelan, Michigan. They both had the same time. Schmadick was 64th, Phelan was 65th. She passed her right at the line. That decided the race. But at the time, no one knew that. We didn't know, like, these two women, this was going to be the team title. The, I think one of the differences now, and for the better, is the live timing, both on-site and on the broadcast, is so much better. We're getting the team splits a lot more frequently. We're knowing exactly what's going on. So we know, oh, these are the two teams that are battling it out. This is who needs to beat who. And we can tell that in the moment. Whereas 2016, you know, we had to wait probably 10 or 15 minutes to figure out the score of that thing. This time around, we knew it almost immediately. Now, there was some shuffling and reshuffling, but that's part of it is I think we could tell in the moment this was going to be a very tight finish. It's going to be dramatic, whereas you couldn't really tell that in 2016 with Oregon and Michigan. So this confirms it, John. It's like I used to say, a meet's not real unless it's broadcast live for Jonathan Galt. Now it's not real if it's also broadcast live and live scoring on the internet. I mean, it does make it a lot better, let's be honest. But John, I mean, we just didn't appreciate it because no one was paying attention to it. No one had any idea of knowing in their head six years ago what was happening. I mean, John, let's say, well, I don't want to bring my own personal life into it. Let's bring yours. Let's say you go into the bedroom tonight with your non-existent girlfriend and had the sex of your life just because you didn't record it. Does not mean it didn't exist? I mean, it yeah. happened. So 2016 was equally as exciting, but we just didn't realize it. You see what I'm saying, John? I, I get your argument, but here's the other thing. I'm just more excited by NAU against Oklahoma state, like NAU going for the three peat. Okay. State on their home course trying to win their first in 10 years. That was a more exciting style storyline than Oregon and Michigan battling out on the women's side. They, those two were not like, neither of them were viewed as the favorite that year. Whereas this was sort of a more battle of the Titans, two really, really great teams. They both scored a lot fewer points. Uh, they were both tied at 83. And back in 2016, it was 125 for Oregon, 126 for Michigan. The other thing is, I'm not just talking about the men's team race i'm talking about the meet as a whole all four races i thought were extremely exciting on the women alabama was leading through 4k would have been a massive upset because no one thought they had a fifth woman all season now it turns out their fifth woman did fade pretty badly at the end but nc state really had to dig deep pick up some paces places sam bush over the final 2k to win that the women's individual race between valby and tui sensational Tui coming from behind to win there. And then the men's individual race was awesome as well because you had Nico Young and Drew Bosley from NAU running back the gas, gas, gas playbook from 2016 that Matt Baxter and Tyler Day did in Louisville. And once again, it was the third interloper. Charles Hicks played the role of Justin Knight. He hangs with them and then he kicks away late. That was extremely dramatic as well. So taken as a whole... I think it's hard to say there were many NCAA meets or any NCAA meets that would produce more drama, excitement, greatness across all four races. Because I think on the women's side and the men's side, a lot of these athletes are going to be future stars in the sport. I think Tui and Valby, they could be the standard bearers for American distance running within a few years. Overall, I just think this was really... I mean, 2016, you did have Patrick Tiernan upsetting Edward Cheserek as well. So that was pretty awesome. But... I think all four races, this it's going to be hard to beat what we saw on Saturday and still water. It was amazing, John, but it may not be tough to beat. We may be able to beat it. 
one year from now, 2023, Charlottesville, if you're on the East Coast, you've got no excuse for not driving there. It's within driving distance of a lot of the country. This brings me to my email of the week from Robert. Great name. Hi, Robert. Don't expect you to remember, but I'm a Let's Run subscriber, listener from Maryland. We chatted last year via email. Anyways, he starts off by saying he's pumped to go to, to Charlottesville next year because he can go. I looked up and looked it up, and 2023 could be really, really loaded, boring a slew of top runners going pro or, of course, injury. Using the years posted on the NCAA results page, I calculated all the non-seniors who are returning. And the, from the women's race, the top 11 women are all returning. 17 of the top 20 are returning. 44 of the top 50 are returning. On the men's side, the top three are all returning, eight of the top 10, 13 of the top 20, 33 of the top 50. I mean, the women's side, that's absolutely crazy. But look at some of these top teams. NC State returns its top three, five of its top seven. New Mexico, all of its top five. Alabama, all of its top three. OSU, all of its top seven. UNC, all of its top seven. On the men's side, NAU, top four, all return. Oklahoma State, six of its top seven. BYU, five of its top seven. Stanford, six of its seven. So, hey, we had so much fun in Stillwater. Let's just run it again next year. And then, hey, you know, if they tie again, then I think we call it a tie, right? Okay, up front, John. But if not, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. If we t- if they tie again, we call it a tie. That's the one of the stupidest things we've ever said on this podcast. We don't have, we shouldn't have ties at the NCAA championships in any sport. We had ties in track and field. We say you should break that tie by the four by four results. Ties in cross country, you don't just leave it a tie. You're supposed you the whole reason we have an entire season is to crown a champion. You don't just leave it as a tie in a team race. So look, we I guess we can get into that. The way this tie was broken. If you listened to the podcast last week, I actually broached this scenario. I thought it was going to be New Mexico and NC State because they tied earlier in the season at Nuttycomb. It ended up being NAU and Oklahoma State. I said, how crazy would it be to see a tie at NCAAs? There's only been one tie in NCAA history before. We've never had a tie where they actually break the tie. And the system they use is they compare your one versus one, two versus two, three versus three. Whoever wins the most head-to-head matchups wins the title. And I've said before, I think this is a silly tiebreaker. The sixth-man tiebreaker is very is more natural to me. And you've already scored the top five runners against each other. This is why we have the tie in the first place. I don't think you should be rescoring them in a different manner. Use the sixth runner. That's what they're there for. And the one complaint I hear is, oh, but what if a team doesn't have a sixth runner? I'm sorry. If you know the rules beforehand, if everyone says we're going to break it with a six-man tiebreaker, well, then you better go to NCAAs with a six-man because if not, you're leaving yourself vulnerable. Right now doesn't matter. You don't need to have a six-man to factor in a tiebreaker, so whatever. But moving forward, if everyone knows that's the rule, you can't just whine and say, oh, some teams are... Well, sorry, that's weakness of your team you have to address. Do you guys think the tiebreaker should be changed, or do you like it as is? I don't like it as is. I said I've always preferred the six-man, but I've been reading on the internet some good ideas. I'd actually like to see a real overtime. Like, what if we had an extra period? And we just run... A thousand meter race, or I, I have seen five by two k relay because of course that's only run the same top five though. But you could just run like a thousand meter race, 
and score. People are like, oh, that benefits the mid D. Who cares? It's just, it would be exciting to make them go out there. You wouldn't know. We'd be looking up their PBs real quick. Like, you know, 30 minutes after the race is over, we're running another damn race. It's called overtime, people. Robert, if we're going to do overtime, I did think about this, about having some running. There is a better way to do it. Penalty kicks for cross country. 100 meter dash. Your number one runners, they line up against each other. They each run 100 head to head. First team to three wins it. Tell me that wouldn't be the most exciting thing in the history of cross country. Finally, John, that is a good idea, actually, because I was reading this thread. There's a big thread in Let's Run Now, and essentially it's like, oh, they should do rerun the distance as a relay, 5 by 2 k And then I'm shocked. People are like, people can get injured. I'm like, come on, you're breaking the tie at NCAAs. It's like at the World Cup, guys aren't playing because they're, ner- they're trying to get their hamstring better for the nurse- next game. The U.S. may not have a next game soon here. Are we going to save Gio Reyna for the next world cup my god but john the the hundred settles it it could be done very quickly you could have done it on the broadcast you'd get it over penalty kicks are such a joke it would be funny people would be into it yeah i mean could you imagine though you you both you're tied through the the first four runners so it comes down to your number five against their number five in a hundred meter dash for the ncaa title i mean we we probably never get this specific scenario but that would be insane. I would be losing my shit. I would absolutely watch that. I think that sixth man is probably fairer, but oh my god, I'd be rooting for a tie in every cross country meet if that if we broke ties with a hundred meter sprint off. Just to see these awkward like ten k guys like yourself, myself, and Weldon like having to get down into would we go from a crouch start? I mean, <laughs> it would be epic. It would be amazing. And I've always thought. You know, you guys know that I think I should coach like not only every track and field runner, but also the NFL teams. Jeff Saturday almost did it on Sunday, by the way. Greg Berhalter, I assume you want his his job in a minute if you guys lose to England, right? Yeah, but without a doubt. But I forgot what I was saying. Coaching. Oh, I hate the World Cup. Like, I hate the penalty kick. The solution there is so simple. People are like they might get hurt. Who cares? It's the World Cup final. It should never end in penalty kicks. Just every you play a ten minute overtime, then you expand the goal by two feet. You play a ten minute overtime, expand the goal by two feet. That'll settle it. But in this case, I kind of like the penalty kicks for running hundred meter dash. Thank you, John. You're no longer fired. You can keep your job. All right. Mike Smith himself admitted heading into this thing, he wasn't really a fan of the head-to-head tiebreaker. I think he was angling for the number six man to break the ties. Let me play that audio clip. Did you think that's the right way to break ties? Oh, man, I've gone back and forth. I mean, I, 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 love, the, I love the six man and the tiebreaker, and I, I'm used to that. Uh, I'll say that that wouldn't have... Uh, that would not have... Uh, uh, we would have lost, lost today based on, the, on that uh, way of scoring, so I'll go ahead and say that I love the head-to-head tiebreaker. <laughs> Speaking of Mike Smith, Weldon, I always enjoy talking to him in the mix zone after these NCAA championships. Now, it obviously helps. The coach is going to be in a good mood because they win, but Mike also does end up giving you some genuine insight into his team, which I appreciate. And I thought this happened again. You know, he, he was candid before the meet. He said, you know, normally we win all the time in the regular season. Like, normally they 
have the results to back up their training and they know that, you know, their team has the confidence that, hey, we've been winning all season. We're going to win and get it done in NCAAs. And this year, this was what he said when he was asked, you know, did you believe they can continue to perform? Did you ever doubt yourself? He said, I screwed up in the middle of the season. I just didn't have their legs underneath them in the middle of the season. I- John, I've, I've got that audio because it's amazing. This thing went super hot and let's run yesterday. Mike Smith's interview, honesty, blows me away. Here's what he said. Yeah, I, I screwed up in the um, I screwed up in the middle of the season, and I just uh, I, I I just had didn't have their legs underneath them in the middle of the season. I made some mistakes in training, and uh, that was that was on me. Um, and so they just had to, they just had to suffer through that uh, and get their get their butts kicked at, at Nutty Comb and um, but. You know, the cool thing about our sport, right, is like, you know, if you could, as long as they just don't lose hope and they just keep, they just stay with it, you know, they get to see how the season turns out. And uh, I just kept telling the locker room, like, this is, we're, we're actually, we're actually good. We're in a great place. I, I knew this is as strong a team as we've ever had. I, you know, I research our competition well, but um, a lot of people don't have experience doing it on this day. And I think if you look at the results, um, it's hard to execute on this day. So fortunately, it's not one of the Nutty Comb Invitational. I've done a lot of these interviews after NCAAs. I can't really remember a coach ever saying they screwed up in the regular season. And I guess you can debate how much they screwed up. Like the one thing I'm, I love, the one thing I realized the more of these I cover is the regular season. We try to read into the results from cross country because that's the only data we have most of the time. But some of the time, like you don't know how meaningful a result is because you don't know what kind of training athletes are doing. You don't know if they've run 110 miles the week or if they've really backed off and they're trying to run really well that week. You don't know if someone's sick or if they're a little banged up. So we make all these projections and predictions. We say NAU's vulnerable. And I do think this team was more vulnerable than usual, but then you get to NCAAs and it's like, oh, Santiago Prosser is actually the 19th best runner in the country. And he has shown no evidence of this all year, except maybe in training he was hanging with Nico Young and Drew Bosley, and we don't ever get to see that. So it's hard. I think it's just hard to make predictions, but the one thing Mike Smith is very good at is getting his athletes, one, to believe in themselves, and two, to perform their best on the biggest day of the year. I say this every year when they win, but it's no, it doesn't become any less true. Like It is very, very difficult to get all of your athletes to run a good race at the NCAA meet. And NAU consistently does that every year, whereas you look at the other programs, usually other teams will have an off day here or there. NAU did have an off day in 2019. It's not like they are perfect at this, but five of the last six years, they've either run great or their team's been so good that they could get by and win a title with a B race, which is what happened in 2018. But what they've done six and seven years, he's won five NCAA titles as a coach now, Mike Smith. It's really, really impressive. Let's be accurate, though, John. You said to get all the runners to run a good race. They didn't all run a good race. Colin Solomon, the number one recruit in the country, 151st here. And that's actually... I just don't think that's good. Now, what does that mean moving forward? I think it's fine. Like, this is a 10K. It's cross-country. 
Um, when I was talking to Mike after the race about his younger brother, I said, hey, you got Aaron coming. And he's like, yep. But Aaron keeps reminding me, I'm a middle distance runner. So Aaron may not even run cross country in college. Colin's more of a miler than he is a 10K guy right now. I still don't think it was good, but interesting fact here. Who did he beat at 151st? Well, 163rd was Gary Martin, UVA guy, sub four, former podcast guest. And 164th, Gary Martin. Who did Gary Martin beat by one spot? Joe Wascom, the NCAA 1500 meter champion. So that's fine for young guys who are really going to be doing it well at the mile, but I, I wouldn't call it, you know, a great race. By the way, I shared a plane with Gary Martin. They'll be hosting NCAAs next year. And it was, he's, I went up to him and it's like, Hey man, good to see you. Like, nice to meet you in person. He's like, yeah, nice same. And I, we were talking about the thread where people were saying like, why is Vin Lanana running him? He's like, yeah, I got to chuckle out of those threads. That's just, you know, he likes being part of the team people. I did also ask him about some Philly sports fans because I asked him if he was enjoying the baseball and stuff. He's like, yeah, when they last won the World Series, I was five. I didn't remember it. He was five in 2008. Oh, my God. That makes me feel old. That was my senior year of high school. And jeez. so, yeah, you're getting up there, John. But he did say for the record, you know, baseball is his third NBA. He's a big Sixers, then the Eagles, then the Major League Baseball. So I, I think it, it's, you know, these these guys hopefully have it in perspective, you know, where they are. Speaking of Mike Smith, though, John, everyone loves his interviews. Is part of it because of the voice? Have we ever gotten to the bottom of the voice? I was you you said you've asked him about it. This yeah. is funny. This is a funny story. And Mike, if you're listening, I'm not trying to bash on you, but I talked to an ex colleague of mine at Cornell. They claimed when I left Cornell, this is what has changed in ten years. Mike Smith called this guy and asked about the job. So Mike was interested in replacing me at Cornell. Are you kidding me? But this, my colleague said he didn't, I don't think he spoke like that back then. So strange oh, accent. This is a missed opportunity. If Mike had replaced you at Cornell and then suddenly started winning Hep's cross country titles, you could finally admit maybe that coaching does matter and that he was able to do more with the same resources. But alas, that didn't happen. It is interesting. I've asked him about the accent because he grew up in central Massachusetts, not far from where I live. And people in central Massachusetts don't talk like the way Mike Smith talks. But uh, he was kind of evasive. He didn't really want to discuss it. He didn't want to. He, Mike doesn't like making things about him. So he just didn't want to really talk about the origins of his manner of speaking. But he knows that it's a subject of interest among running fans. I don't even think it's just his accent. It's sort of like his his the flow of how he speaks. Remember the first time I heard him, I'm like, whoa, this guy, he sort of thinks differently. He's always interesting to hear. But a couple of things. Well, John, I'm reading here in this thread that Mike actually isn't a good coach. The only reason Smith is successful is because Heinz taught him everything and handed him the keys of a golden Lamborghini. He had by far the most talented team on paper. And only one based on the tiebreaker. I am not impressed. <laughs> yeah, I'm but, sorry. You got to win 12 straight before you win over the let's run message point. Six of seven? Come on. I don't care how talented your team is. Winning six of seven NCAA titles? Well, I guess five of six since Smith five six, took over? John. Come on. But look, look. My, Eric Hines left him with a good roster. He left him with a title team in 2017. But all those guys are gone now. Mike has... And yes... 
their success helped him get some top recruits like Nico Young and Drew Bosley. But Mike has maintained that. Clearly, he's a great coach. Look, the other thing that Mike Smith did is, right, he was coaching Luis Grijalva this year, right? Yes. Luis Grijalva, a guy from Central freaking America, got fourth in the world. And the world's. I mean, I saw Luis on the course, and I just went up to him and was like, I don't think I've seen you since Worlds. How did you do that? That's amazing. Congratulations. By the way, it was cool to see all those NAU studs from years past that are supporting on the team. So he's done an amazing job. He's just done an amazing job. And congrats to them. Well, yeah, the most upvoted post of the week, I think, it says, if Mike Smith wins one title, the U.F. Hines wins for sure. Smith has won five titles on his own. Give me a break. And I agree. And But Robert always makes this about himself. Can I make it about me? But really not about me. I joke that I'm the godfather of flat scaff running, but it goes back way before me. Ron Mann built everything in Flagstaff. He was the coach there forever. And I think they got... Was their best finish? It was a big deal they made the podium. Was it only fourth, John, or did they get second? No, they were second in 2013. They'd been on the podium a bunch before Smith got there. And... But... I just think there's all these people who are before in Flagstaff. Like Flagstaff, when I first moved there in 2000, I'm like, wow, this is the best best place to train in the country. And I think it is. And man had success, passed it on to Eric Hines, who had been his graduate assistant. Hines wins. I mean, it's really cool. Then has to take a job, you know, gets out of coaching immediately the next year because his wife has a job at NASA. But Hines is now coaching John again at Louisville. This was his third year. I don't think Louisville was at NCAs, were they? No, and this gets to a point I wanted to make, Weldon. Nine of the last ten NCAA men's cross-country champions as a team, what do they have in common? Can you tell me? Well, I guess we're going to have BYU in there. Uh, They must train at altitude, I think, is where you're going. Yes, BYU, Colorado, NAU have combined to win nine of the last ten. Syracuse is the only C-level team that's won in that span. And the more I see this, the more I just think it's such a big advantage to be based. Like the women, it's not as pronounced. Only four of the last 10 women's teams have been there. But I have to think that has something to do with being a 10 K race race versus a six K race. If you're training for a 10,000 meter race, you want to be, it's just so nice to be in Boulder or Flagstaff or Provo, great altitude hubs, it's, a, it's an advantage over these C-level teams like Syracuse or Stanford. And I don't want to say that a school like Stanford doesn't have advantages. Obviously, they have advantages of their own. The weather is ideal. It's a great academic school, so there's more incentive to go there if you really... That's not an value. advantage. It, it's an advantage and it's a disadvantage. If you're Because, Robert, think about this. If you're a top athlete who also places an emphasis on academics, you're going to want to go to Stanford over NAU or BYU. If you were a top athlete, it it might be a little harder to get in, but if you do have the grades, I think that's the place you're going to go over pretty much anywhere in the country. Yes, it's a huge advantage in recruiting for Stanford, but academics hurt them once they're there. But look, altitude is huge. I mean, I talk to John Kellogg about this all the time. I think it's like five seconds a mile. 
something like that. I mean, it's massive. What's five altitude, seconds a mile? If you're an altitude responder, how much it helps you? So, I mean, there's that nothing. Does, that doesn't make sense, though. I don't understand. Like, if just training at altitude helps you five seconds a mile, that's a very... I don't understand what... It helps you become a better runner, but that just seems like a ridiculous blanket statement to say anyone who trains at altitude is five seconds a mile better. I think he's saying if you're an altitude responder, it might be worth like 30 seconds in a 10K. Maybe more. Hell, it should work for me, man. Natural EPO, people. When people suggested I was doping, biggest compliment I ever got. Yeah, it's a huge thing. Like, And Mike's... He's figured it out. No, I don't. This juggernaut. What was the stat you had on the, on the Supporters Club podcast, John? They've now won more NCAA titles than Arkansas and Wisconsin. Than- no, no, no. Arkansas has the most. It's Colorado and Wisconsin have both got five. NAU's got five in the last six years. And they have six total since 2016. No, NAU has six the last seven, I thought. Yeah. But I'm saying they've won the same number in the last six years as Colorado has won ever, or Wisconsin has won I mean, ever. That's crazy. Like, yeah, as Mike Smith, I don't view him. Well, I guess I should. But Hines won one right before, so it's like, I guess this guy's having success, had the success as pros as a Wetmore or something like that. And we we'll get to Wetmore in a second for a whole different issue. But I mean, it's just amazing what they're doing, and I don't see it stopping anytime soon, right? No, I mean, I, I'm looking at the results from saturday somehow brody hasty's only a junior he's one of these guys who's going to be could be a covid super senior next year so he'd be able to run at five ncla championships they do lose george kush but their top four all still has eligibility remaining they're gonna find another one this always happens like every season they come in with like three or four stars and then it's like yeah mike smith will just find someone on the roster to finish as an all-america at number five so I'm pretty confident that they will be the favorite, I think, again, probably heading into next season. But Oklahoma State only uses, loses Isaiah Rodriguez from their top five. And only? They lose a guy from the, from the top ten in the Nationals. That's a lot they, harder to replace. They lo- I'm saying then- they lose one guy, though. They bring back everyone else from a team who scored 83 at NCAAs. And they've got their sixth man was Ryan Shoppy, who was 53rd. Like, they're going to be very good again. And Stanford... If they have a healthy Cole Sproul, okay, they don't win, but they were number one team all year, and they're pretty much bringing back everyone as well. So, like you said at the start, Robert, the battle for the team race next year is going to be even crazier. And, and this year, it was pretty nuts. Like, there, Wisconsin got six with two twelve. I mean, two twelve can get you on the podium sometimes. It's just very deep, very good at the top, and probably even better next year. But big picture. I mean, look, heading into this meet, Jonathan Galt predicted Oklahoma State 3, NAU 4. In the Let's Run predictions, I think... Let me check here. Stanford was the huge favorite. NAU was 2 there, but getting you know less than half the first place votes at Stanford. Oklahoma State was 4. I mean, what Oklahoma State did, I guess it's, it's not really a nice constellation because they're probably just like, oh my God. Dave Smith and them, Home course or not, that was amazing. Because I, I didn't expect that at all. But Well, I, I thought they'd be in the hunt, but I didn't think they would score 83. That's a tremendous score. It's the lowest score at NCAAs that didn't win since 
1997. And that has an argument as one of the great all-time meets as well. 1997 in Greenville, South Carolina. Meb Kofleski was your individual champion. This was the team scores at the top. Stanford, 53. Arkansas, 56. Can you imagine scoring 56 at NCAAs and losing? That's that's absolutely insane. Um, but yeah, Oklahoma State, their two stars, well, Mayer and Rodriguez both ran great. Fuad Masaudi, race of the day for them. He'd run one collegiate cross-country race before NCAAs. He finishes 12th. Amazing run by him. I think he would have maybe liked to see Victor Shitsama, who was their fourth, run a little bit higher. He was 31st, but you know he, he'd finished in the top five at the Cowboy Jamboree. If he's at his absolute best, OK State wins. But you can't say, like, oh, OK State, they ran... Like, they did... They ran a sensational race on their home course. They just got beat by a team that was just a little bit better. According to the rules. For the record, I went back and scored the meet, including the individuals. I think the individuals should count on the scoring. Because think about this. On the women's side, Kay went to a, if all she cared about the women's side was just could have like sat there in second place, outkicked that pack, got in second place, it makes no difference in the team title. No, it should mean something that she beat Parker Valby. The individuals should count. I rescored it, still a tie. So, and you still would have won that way with the current tie-breaking system. I mean, there aren't that many individuals at the top, though. In the top, I'm looking now, the top 64 athletes, there are only three athletes there who won on a team. So it doesn't make really a huge difference, well then. But it, it can make a point or two difference, you know, depending, whatever. All right, can we talk a little about the women's race? Someone else who did a great job, Lori Hennis. She'd been coaching for 20... Uh, John, she'd been coaching for a long time, could never win the big one. Suddenly, she gets the talent, and now she's won two in a row. Which proves my point. I went back, I had to cut off the podcast a little bit early last week, and John was mocking me how I think I should coach everybody. And I, I was thinking of more examples, John, about how you don't do this with other people, though. Who the hell had Jonathan Green coached before he got Molly Seidel and he coached her to the Olympics? So that's example number one. Well, that's a flawed example. He'd never coached basically anyone. So it's not like he'd been coaching and hadn't been getting results. That that actually hurts your argument because he could be a phenomenal coach and this is just the first thing that put him on the map. You would want someone who'd been coaching a bunch of scrubs and done nothing and then suddenly gets a super talent and does something. That's not the situation here. But I think you're misunderstood. My results at Cornell were phenomenal. But I also want to bring up another name, George Seifert. Have you ever heard of that name, John? Yeah, you bring him up on the podcast. Like okay. You brought this name up to me many times. Okay. He was the former Cornell University football coach in 1975 and 1976. He went 1-8 and 2-7. And, and, and suddenly when he got A-class, he got grade A talent. He won two Super Bowls for the San Francisco 49ers. Hell, if you want a more modern example, look at Jim Knowles. This guy was a joke of a coach. At, 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 I mean, in terms of winning record at Cornell football when I was there, early 2000s. Now he's the highest paid assistant coach in all of college football. He's the Ohio State defensive coordinator making, I think, 1.9 or $2.9 million a year. By the way, I thought $1.9 million was a lot until I learned that two runners that I used to coach at Cornell made $1.2 million last year disgusted me. The, 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 that just disgusted me. 
Okay, well, that's neither here nor there, but that, we're not going to go down that tangent. I'm closing access off to that road. I, no, here's the thing. I've said this on the podcast many times. Apparently, you just don't hear me. I'm not saying that talent is unimportant, but I also think when a coach wins five of six NCAA cross-country titles, yes, they do deserve credit for being a pretty awesome coach. And when a coach goes back-to-back, yeah, you got to give some credit to the coach. But obviously, NC State, I remember a couple years ago, they got Kelsey Camille, they got Caitlin Tui, they were getting all these star recruits. I'm like, if they don't win NCAAs in cross-country, it's a failure. Look at how much talent they have on their roster. Well, guess what? They got it done two, two years in a row. 114 points. Did they have their best absolute race? No, but they went 1-2 in the team race. So essentially, they're only scoring three runners. They had... Well, I, I, I didn't hear you discounting the NAU. Were you saying NAU went 2-3 in the team race? Essentially, they're only discounting two runners. Why? No, no, no. I, I, I'm not discounting their... You've got to listen to what I'm saying, Robert. I'm not discounting their achievements by saying, oh, if you go 1-2 in the team race... It shouldn't count. I'm just saying this is how they won the title. It helps to have a big advantage with two stars. And NAU, the same thing. Drew Bosley and Nico Young were two humongous talents coming out of college. Every team in the country would have wanted them. They went to NAU. When you have those guys, it makes it a lot easier. But you've got to have other people step up. Nevada Moreno, she was another huge talent coming out of high school, but she didn't really do that much until this year. She's 29th. Yeah, look, obviously NC State has a lot of talent on that roster, but getting them to perform on the day, keeping most of them healthy, yeah, you give credit to Lori Hennis, but you also have to say, like, both NAU and NC State, you can't win a title without talent. Both They both have very talented rosters as well. It's kind of interesting because NAU was NC State was great through four. Their fifth was only 74th in the team scores. But at six and seven, they actually beat New Mexico at six and seven, which I wouldn't have thought coming in. But individually, John, when we when I got to Oklahoma State finally after a two day delay, you know, the night before we were like, what actually? What are the odds that Tui versus Bobby both go one two? Like we were anticipating the matchup, but then we kind of thought about it. Like, well, one of them could blow up. One of them could have an off day, get third or fourth. Like we only thought it was around fifty percent. And in reality, we got what we wanted. Balby took off at about a thousand meters, got a big lead. Tui ran her down, but fantastic. I mean, absolutely fantastic to see Caitlin Tui as your NCAA champion. I mean, you the greatest high school cross country runner in U.S. women's history. Not as good as her senior year in high school as she was earlier in her college career and earlier in her high school career. Not as dominant, at least. Kind of struggles her freshman year a little bit. Not great. And you're kind of thinking, is she going to be a pretty good college runner who doesn't even have a pro career? No, 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 no. She's going to be have a great pro career. You know, I don't know if she'll beat the Ethiopians and the Kenyans, but I think she's going to be one of America's best, definitely. And just really exciting as a U.S. distance fan to see someone dealing with all that pressure, go through some rough times, and do so well and also see poised to be doing well in the years to come. She doesn't look like she's going to have any problems with eating disorders, bone density, etc. This is a strong, powerful, kick-ass woman. Congratulations, Caitlin. It's so impressive 
what she's done, Robert, because we knew she had the talent. She's been winning national titles since she was 15 years old, but she's also been in the national spotlight since she was 15 years old. Most runners do not achieve the level of fame that Caitlin Tui has. Now, if you walked up to a random person on the street and said, who's Caitlin Tui, you get a blank stare. But in the running community, she's huge. She has 86,000 followers on Instagram. I mean, to deal with that, to deal with all the speculation, every race you run, you're going to be saying, oh, how did Tui do? There's going to be a thread about you on Let's Run. To come through that and win the national title, so, so impressive. And seems pretty well adjusted with all of that sort of stuff. And I think, like you said, her future's very bright. But it's interesting because not all the high school phenoms pan out. We've talked on this podcast before. High school phenoms do not always pan out. So far, Jenna Hutchins, remember her a couple years ago? She broke the 5,000-meter high school record. She hasn't done much at BYU. It's not to say she can't, but Alexa Ephraimson, time professional, she never ran faster than she did in the 1500 as a high schooler. It can be difficult to maintain that momentum when your body changes, all that sort of stuff. So that to me is, is super impressive that Tui's been able to navigate all this and is on the top of the NCAA ranks just like she was in the high school ranks. And Weldon, speaking of this, I think you actually have a clip. A few years ago, we made predictions when Tui was coming out of high school about what she would do at the collegiate level. Can you play those for us? Thank you, John. I was about to say, like you said earlier, we know she has the talent, and I disagree. Just because you're a high school star does not mean you're going to succeed at this level. Wait, no, no, no. That's a different thing, though. You can have talent. Like, I don't think you can argue if you're having success at 15 that you're not talented. I think it's being able to continue improving, though, right? One, with women, you have the whole body type issues, and bodies changes more for women than men as they go through puberty and progress beyond puberty. But just in other sports, did Freddie Adu... You know, maybe his talent as a 16-year-old isn't the talent you need as a 27-year-old to be a successful pro. It's a phenom soccer player. But this is from December 2019 after Caitlin Tuohy won her third NXN Cross Country Championship. Okay, guys, quick question. Over or under Caitlin Tuohy NCAA titles? I don't even know where to begin, to where to measure success for her. But over or under one NCAA title? She might get 10 NCAA titles, but there's also a very good chance she gets none. Yeah, I think you need to set the line at half, a half, over or under one half of an NCAA title. I think, I think Caitlin Tui will win one. She's been really, really good in high school, but would I bet money on it? I don't feel super confident. I don't feel that confident in it. I'm going to, I'm going to stop it here, Robert. Do you want to guess before I play it which way you go? Well, I started to hear part of my clip, but I was thinking as Jonathan was saying that, that I probably said history would say she's not going to win one, but I want to be optimistic and say she's going to win one. But at the time, I bet I, I bet I thought the answer was no. Yeah. You've said under. I'm going the other direction, John. I'm going down to zero. But I, I think that was the thing. We, she could easily have won one and she could win 10. I think the upside, once she gets one, if she sort of comes through that, she gets multiple. And I think she's poised now. Now that there's a different question. I think we've already had post of the week, email of the week. This is going to be my email of the week. I think it's from poster Mr. Trumpet. 
I don't think this guy's political, but I'm not sure what this name means. But he starts off by writing, I'm guessing the podcast next week will ask, should Caitlin Tooley turn pro? Actually, without this email, I'm not sure I would have gone there. I think she's, but we'll continue on. Here's what I think the better question might be, though. Could peak 16-year-old Caitlin Tooley have won, won this race? And then he goes on to say, like, if she could have, then she shouldn't turn pro. But if she's like much faster, there's like a, four, a 1440 runner now. We're going to find out in this BU 5K that that would shape where you go. Well, both of those things, I just don't think there's even any doubt about it. No, she shouldn't turn pro yet. She's won two NCAA titles, but she doesn't have that fast track PB to back it up yet. I'm sure she could get a pro deal, but to me, it just doesn't make sense. She's having a great time at NC State. Just wait until after the track season before we start discussing that. So I wasn't even thinking that. Could a peak 16-year-old Caitlin Tui have won this race? No, she would have gotten absolutely destroyed. I mean, Caitlin Tui right now is probably in 1450-something shape. That was not what Caitlin Tui was running as a 16-year-old. This Caitlin Tui is a much better version of of junior year high school Caitlin Tui. So, yeah, I, I just don't think that's even a debate. Okay, a couple of things. One, he's got some interesting points about the race. We'll never really know how good Tui could have been today because she flat out didn't put herself out there. This wasn't a case of her running a, quote, smarter race than Valby. The smart race for Tui would have been to sit in Valby's hip pocket and burn her up at the end. I actually disagree with that. But Tui just toyed with the field and made a ridiculous surge with 2K to go. And then blew the doors off Valby. Ironically, I think it's possible but the, that the long-term talent might reside in Valby more than Tui. She has the stride, the body, the mind, and she won't have to be under the intense scrutiny that a high school prodigy like Tui will be. I predict that in 2028, Valby will be a bronze medalist in Olympic 10K. You heard it here first. Hot take, John. That, that actually... Uh... Makes more sense to me than the first few things he said in the email. And we thank you for the email, Mr. Trumpet. We appreciate that. I Parker Valby could be a bigger talent than Caitlin Tui. I'm still not convinced she's not. I think they're both very close, and that's kind of the debate I would like to have. I know we say, oh, you know, we put all these shouldn't put all these pressure on these young phenoms. They're both only 20 years old, but I'm fascinated to see who has the better long-term career. I mean, this could be sort of the Ritz Webb Hole debate that we had so much fun discussing in the 2000s and 2010s. Like Tui and Valby, both same class in high school. They both won two in the last two NCAA championships. Both extremely talented. I, I still don't know who has more talent. I think they're just different styles of runner. Parker Valby is great at going out hard and building these huge leads. Caitlin Tui has one tool that Valby doesn't have right now, which is a very good kick. So I think in that respect, you might lean towards Tui because kicks are very hard to develop. You're usually, you're either kicker your whole life or you're a guy or a woman who likes to grind from the front. It's very hard to just become a kicker. I know Galen Rupp developed a kick, but he's the exception. Well then. So I'll put it to you. Like who do you think is more talented and, who has the better next 10 years of their career? I'm not sure. And that's the, the great thing with this. And John, I'm glad you didn't say, you said, 
some people say it's unfair to put too much pressure on these. You said 20-year-olds. I thought you were going to say 20-year-old females. And I don't think sex should have anything to do with it. If we're going to talk about, if these were men doing it, we should talk about women doing it. Sometimes I feel like we bring sex into it and we don't need to. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm Valby is like is such a sensation. She runs so little. I think there's tremendous upside there. But has she had the thing that I think Caitlin Tui, we know she's already survived the dip in her career. Has Valby even had that yet? You know, we see a lot of college men too have a dip in their career. So what side of that are we on? I kind of love being the contrarian. I almost want to go with Valby, but I don't think either side is a contrarian pick though, because Valby, you could say, Oh, she only runs three or four times a week. She does all this cross training. Just imagine what she could do when we get her up to six days a week as a pro. Or you could also say, wait a minute, she's only running three or four days a week. She might just be very fragile and that could pretend serious thing. You know, that she's who is more likely to have injuries hold them back throughout their career? Well, it's probably the woman who only trains three or four days, is only able to train three or four days a week. I'm actually. I should have a conversation probably with Parker or Chris Salinsky about why they do that. Clearly, she's had success with running three or four days a week, but I'm curious if they do it because if she does try to up the intensity or up the mileage or whatever, they think she'll definitely get hurt, or it's a case of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So that's very interesting to me. And also, John, I was leading the Parker Valby fan club on the... NCA Supporters Club podcast where we recap the meet immediately afterwards because I heard she was from Connecticut. Someone said that in the comments. I wasn't aware of that. And I live in Connecticut now and I'm soon Connecticut will be probably the number one ranked state and everything. We need a little more pride here. But have I was checking... Connecticut, have you heard Connecticut is the size of Qatar? This is the most frequently used analogy of the entire month. Qatar, a country that's roughly the size of Connecticut, is hosting the World Cup. I've seen that. I've read that must have been like 50 times by this point. So I just wanted to say, Connecticut's getting some press this month. I haven't seen that. All I hear about is New Jersey. I mean, it seems like everyone in the U.S. soccer team's from New Jersey. But back to this Tui thing, I don't think she should turn pro because she's doing well. She seems to be developing at, at a good level and has a challenger in the NCAAs. If she's head and shoulders above everybody else, then consider it. And as Rojo said, Rojo had to step away on the Supporters Club podcast. In case you guys missed it. He said he'd pay people 50 bucks for a ride from the airport in Oklahoma City to Stillwater. A bunch of a- some a-holes on the forums were mocking him. And Robert's like, no, just... The running community is great. It'll get a good ride. Help somebody out. Save the environment. He gave somebody a ride for four hours last year from like what? Alabama to Birmingham, Alabama to Atlanta after NCAA indoors in March. So turns out Samantha Bush, the number three for NC State, her parents gave Rojo a ride. You learned a lot about the program. I just said like, it's just a great environment. There's no jealousy. Like, Everyone's what you see, like they seem to be enjoying themselves, having fun. He goes, that's the reality. 
So it's such a great, great setup. I guess then the only thing is like, okay, if, if someone's going to get like life-changing money, you go pro. But at this point, I think she's going to get the money. I don't think there's a need for that. But John, does the name Suni Lee mean anything to you? Yes, she is the reigning all-around champion in women's gymnastics at the Olympics. Do you know anything else about Suni Lee? She went to Auburn, I believe, and did collegiate gymnastics. I think lost. I think she's doing it this season, and then after this season, she's going to stop doing it and resume training as a pro for the Olympics. Correct. And they essentially said that the NIL has, has changed it for gym, gymnastics. Women's gymnast, you won the Olympics, you never went to college, or you went to college, but you didn't compete. Now they're competing. They have NIL on the side. And the pros. And so she, she did that for two years. She's now going to quit competing in, in, in college because it's a different with the, you know, the season's different. It's different than training for the Olympics. But that shows to me, I'm surprised some of these shoe companies haven't started thinking outside of the box. You could sign Caitlin Tui to a pro deal. She's still in college. She can make appearances for Adidas. NC State's an Adidas school. Adidas would be the most logical one, I think, to sign her. She's still racing in Adidas. Well, but even, you know, Hoka could sign her or somebody else. Less than an hour after we recorded this, Kay Wintui announced she had signed an NIL deal with Adidas. So here's John and I having a 10-minute conversation of Kate Wintui actually signing an NIL deal and what it means. Then we resume with the rest of the podcast. John, it happened. Obviously, we thought of it. It can't be too clever. But like 30 minutes after we recorded the podcast saying, hey, why doesn't some shoe company sign, and mainly Adidas, sign Caitlin Tui to an NIL deal? It happened. Caitlin Tui has signed an NIL deal with Adidas. She was, she's essentially a pro athlete now and will stay in college and compete for NC State. I think this is groundbreaking for a couple of reasons. One, I know of no track athlete who has signed a major contract with a shoe company while in college. And I think this might be the future for a lot of stars in the sport. Turn pro, stay in college, get the best of both worlds. Yeah, there are so many advantages to staying in college. You get to stay with your teammates. You get you know, medical taken care of. You have training facilities. You've got dining halls. You've got everything that all the perks of being a D1 athlete still exist for you. And yet you're also getting paid by a sponsor. So it is pretty ideal. There are a couple drawbacks. You know, if you want to go after appearance fees or run diamond leagues, well, that's a little bit more difficult because you're still sort of beholden to your college team to run their schedule. But yeah, for Kaylin Tui, I think it makes perfect sense. If Adidas is going to offer her money, to essentially continue living the life she's living right now and she has to do a few po- sponsored posts on Instagram or photo shoots for Adidas and you get a nice pay check out of that, absolutely makes sense for her to take it. And what I'm curious to see, one of the questions I have, is how many athletes are going to follow suit? Is this something that the shoe brands are only going to throw out for a very high-profile college athlete? Someone like Caitlin Tui who has 90,000 Instagram followers and is one of the most famous 
runners in the country? Or is it going to be five or six athletes per year? Is it going to be 10 to 20 athletes per year who get a deal like this from a shoe company? We don't know. We're still in the very early stages of this, but we said we were waiting for someone to make the first move. Adidas is the company that's made the first move in this case. Yeah, and there's a couple like caveats. Like NIL deal, you can't pay for performance. You're essentially paying for the name, image, and likeness. But in some ways, that doesn't matter. Just pay Kate with a nice base contract. Who cares if she if she wins NCAs or gets third? How much less marketable is she? Right? She's already a big name, and a lot of shoe companies have sort of gone this direction. Right? Like the bonuses, in some ways, are a way to pay the athletes less of a base, spread things out. But some of the newer companies were like, "Hey, we're not going to give you big reduction clauses. Here's the deal." But I think one caveat is like the shoe companies, if they can get you for free, they're going to want you for free. NC State's an Adidas school. So it seems unlikely maybe that Nike would want to come in and sign them because she'd still be running with Adidas every time she races. So I think what the role play this out a bit, but I think athletes will generally stay sign deals with the sponsor of their school. And there's other implications for big sports, right? If you're Nike and you're paying a million dollars to Duke, mainly for the basketball team, but it goes to the whole school. The athletes might, the, the starting five might say, "Hey, the school might say, hey, it's better pay us five hundred grand, pay the starting five a hundred grand each." But track and field <laughs> isn't going to have most of those issues. I mean, uh, the starting point guard of Duke is probably more marketable than Caitlin Tui, but uh, this is a good thing for the sport. It's a good thing for her, and it'll be interesting to see though if the, if the sport goes a little more towards personalities. I mean, obviously she's getting signed because of her performance, but just a little more well-rounded. It won't be quite as cutthroat with the deals because Caitlin Tui could, you know, drop out of NC State tomorrow. And I think they still have to honor this deal for the rest of the year, however long it is. What I'm interested to see is will Caitlin Tui now complete all of her eligibility at NC State? I think you and I, until today, were of the opinion that she would likely just turn pro after the end of this outdoor track season if she wins a couple more NCAA titles, if she's running a time we think that she's capable of running somewhere in the 1440s or 1450s. It would make sense for her to turn pro. Now, if she's getting paid by Adidas, now maybe the contract is structured in such a way she's not making quite as much as she would as a full-time pro. I don't know exactly how long this deal is. There are still some questions to be answered, but... I think it makes it a lot more likely that we're going to see Caitlin Tui running for four years in Raleigh instead of three or whatever it was going to be otherwise. So that's another thing that's yet to be determined. But like we said, there's so many benefits to staying in the college system that I think for some athletes, it's going to outweigh the drawbacks of having to go out and stake out on your own. And Adidas has also shown a penchant for signing like young, betting on young stars, American stars. They did Drew Hunter out of high school. Um, Noah Lyles, Arian Knighton, Hobbs Kessler, many of the top U.S. high school athletes. Even going back to Allison Felix, she started out as Adidas before going to Nike. Oh, wow. But And now this might be another avenue for them. Essentially, they go to the athlete really young and say, look, we'll sign a deal for you. Here's the Adidas schools. Go there. If all of the 
and sort of stuff taken advantage of. Adidas and Adidas are lined up. So I think maybe that's where you see it. Some of these superstars might use this more as a developmental system because for most of them, with the exception of Arian Knight and Noah Lyles, it's a huge jump from the high school ranks to the pro ranks. And the college ranks is a, is a nice middle ground. Yeah. Maybe like you want a, a top high school athlete signed somewhere. Like let's say Connor Burns, who ran sub four in the mile last year as a high school junior. He's committed to Oregon. So this summer, you know, let's say he makes a jump and he runs 356 or something. Oregon says, oh, hey, we'll, start, we'll throw you a little NIL money and they've got him locked up for the next four years or so. And if he really takes off, then, hey, he's a Nike athlete. He's running all those postseason meets, U.S. championships, that sort of stuff in Nike gear. So, yeah, that is something that the sports marketing department might be interested in at some of these shoe companies. And, well, then, I'm going to say, Kalen Tui is the first domino to fall. Do you think that another athlete signs an NAL deal like this this year? Because I think someone does, and I've got a prediction already who it might be. What do you think? Well, I think for sure people would start doing it now. The shoe companies love to copy each other, right? I, I was kind of surprised. I'm like, I haven't looked into the NIL deals yet, but I know it's, I mean, there's some of these, even like gymnasts with just tons of Instagram followers making millions of dollars a year. And this is a different thing. But I'm like, wait, why don't some of the shoe companies do deals like this? So hit me, John, who you got in mind? Nico Young. Runs an Adidas school, Northern Arizona. He's ver he's been in the public eye since he was in high school. Fifty thousand Instagram followers. One of the top runners in the country. Star in the making. I think he's a natural target if Adidas wants to continue doing this uh, and stay in the distance realm. I mean, there's going to be sprinters too. Mackay Williams at Oregon could be one of the best sprinters in the world next year. Wonder what, if Nike will be interested in going after him. But my prediction, my next. Prediction is Nico Young also signs an NIL deal with Adidas. John, it's all about TikTok these days. Instagram, you're, you're dating yourself, aging yourself. But wait a minute, still, wait a minute. I, I still think ultimately, John, outside of like the athlete with 2 million Instagram followers, you know, the hot gymnast, seriously, that's what some of these people are, are being rewarded for their looks. I still think. The brands, it's most important to be associated with performance, high-performing athletes. Caitlin Tui takes care of it. It sure helps that they have these Instagram followers and are well-known name, but they can market the success of the athlete, right? I think that's most ultimately still what the shoe companies are going to go for, most likely. But we're going to be shifting a little more of the landscape because if you're not out there promoting the brand, ultimately, your goal is to help sell shoes, establish the identity of the brand. And I think Nico Young, wow, John, that was a really good prediction. Yeah, that's why Nico Young and Caitlin Tui are ideal, because they're very, very successful athletes. Though Caitlin now has two NCAA championships and Nico doesn't have any yet. But they're among the very best. They're young. They've been in the spotlight for a while, so they're well known among American running fans. And they have I mean, I wouldn't say either of these them are amazing on social media, but they have big social media followings that can be utilized by a brand. So I think they're both ideal candidates. One final thing. A lot of the running specific brands really don't have deals with schools, right? Like Hoka, On, at New Balance. Does like New Balance sponsor many college athletes I can't even think of? Sports? Very few. 
I think they so, might have a couple, but yeah, it's Nike and Adidas are the main, and Under Armour as well, right? They're the main players. Right. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with these other companies. And maybe that's what Adidas is doing. Like, oh, maybe On was talking to her and they're like, we want to keep you. Hey, you can stay at NC State. So it's an advantage Adidas has over an On or a Hoka or an Asics, these schools that mainly are more running specific than all sports specific. Maybe New Balance, well, I guess New Balance wouldn't jump into sponsoring college football teams so they can pick up runners, but just something to think about. Well, yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, we're still figuring out exactly how it works. Hopefully we'll have more information in the days and weeks to come, but congrats, Caitlin Tui. Hills pay the bills. Now Adidas pays the bills. Congrats, Caitlin. And hey, I'm not sure where we're dropping this in the podcast, but I still think you should listen to the segment because... We sort of discussed why isn't this happening, and it did. So there you have it. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, you know? this is the thing. Well, then we we we're still waiting for a shoe company to take that plunge because I do think it's possible under the NIL rules for an athlete to sign a shoe deal. And you wouldn't be able to say like, oh, you get a bonus for winning an NCAA title, but you could say, hey, we're going to pay you a base salary. The reasons why it hasn't happened is if you're in Adidas school like NC State, well, she's still going to be racing in Adidas. And I don't know how it would work if she had a shoe deal with one company, but NC State's an Adidas school. I'm not sure who would have the priority there. So Adidas is saying, wait, she's already racing in Adidas why would we pay her to wear when she's already wearing our gear? And another brand would say, well, why would we sign her if all she's going to be wearing is Adidas? What do we get out of that? But if it's someone like Tui, you think, hey, could be the face of the sport for the next 10 years. Maybe Adidas signs her and says, hey, this is a down payment. You know, We think you're going to be a great pro and we're okay paying you to wear Adidas even though you're already going to do that. And a different company could say the same thing. Like, we think you're going to be a great pro we'll take one year of you wearing Adidas as long as you're promoting us on social media, that sort of thing. So I am curious if that ever happens. And you would think, Tui, with how much of a social media following she has, she would be the kind of athlete that would get a brand to take a step like that. So it's going to be interesting. I wonder if she's been approached by agents or by shoe companies or anything like that about that sort of arrangement. I'm sure she's been approached for turning pro. I guess the one thing I hadn't thought about, John, was... She's going to be wearing Adidas anyway. So like if Nike signed her, could she race in Nike flats? Does that violate the agreement with Adidas and NC State? I think it does. I think it does, but I, I'm not an expert on that. I'd have to talk to a coach. So that would be... So Nike can't do it. And Adidas is like, well, we're getting her for free. Why should we pay her? Um, but I don't know. Like, like in Oregon and Cheserick... If you're worried, you're going to lose him. And but Nike didn't care. Nike didn't sign him as a pro. They just had his most prof. They had his most successful years, honestly. Like Nike, he was wearing Nike for everything. He turns pro as Skechers and isn't nearly getting as much attention or headlines. I know, but if Chaz maybe should have had a different discussion. Hey, I'm going pro after my sophomore year. Skechers has offered me. You know, he couldn't have done this because NIL didn't exist. They're offering me five hundred grand a year. Oh, 
Nike's like, no, no, we want you. And they're like, okay, well, do you want me at Oregon or do you want me as a pro? I don't really care. And they're like, okay, stay at Oregon. Okay, so we'll do an NIL deal. Well, Nike probably wouldn't. They might have caught his bluff, though, because he wasn't going to be making $500,000 a year just from sketches. No, I get what you're saying. Yes, I think that maybe if you're really focused on making a lot of money, that is what you do. You say, like, I'll turn pro unless, you know, school that brand that sponsors my school offers me money to stay there. Okay, guys. Sorry, I had some technical difficulties. I'm not sure if you've <clears throat> talked about this or not. And I only have five more minutes. I have to go pick up my son at grandparents' day. But look, Tui should not go pro. Like the money may be good, but she's doing so well. I would at least stay through the spring. If she's totally bored, maybe go pro then. But she's already a junior. I'll do the full thing, finish it out. You're doing so well. That's number one. Number two is I'm a little bit worried about my 1445 prediction for these two women because Tui and Volby didn't beat the rest of the field by that much. A lot of women were running. 37, 43, 45, 45. So if they're in 14, 45 shape, that means all these other women are in 15 flat shape. That seems a little rich to me. So, although I guess two, it could be in 14, 45 shape because maybe she still wasn't even going all out in this race. So those, <clears throat> those are two of my thoughts. Have, uh, before I leave, I don't know if you've already talked about it. Have you talked about this Mark Wetmore controversy? No, I think that needs to be our next subject. Okay, well, let's go there now because I, I, I definitely want to say one or two things here. So he's being investigated. If you're not aware, <clears throat> it comes out the eve of the NCAAs and runners world that there's an investigation into the practices of the Colorado cross-country team related to like how they weighed the women in seven different areas with some sort of caliper with the nutritionist. And what was interesting was talking to people, John, in, in Stillwater is, this is exactly the same story. This story has already happened once this year. It was in May. This article, basically the same article, appeared in the Washington Post. A former walk-on. And Wetmore doesn't let a lot of walk-ons on. He must feel really burned. He let a girl who ran 520 on the mile in high school walk on to the team. And now she wants him fired. And Heather Burroughs, his partner. So basically in May, they investigated this. The athletic department did. They didn't find anything they wanted to get rid of him for. She wasn't happy about that. So she like brought the university president, made the university president aware about it and went around too. Like it sounds like this woman's not going to be happy until he's fired, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Like to me, even if what they're doing is terrible and they've been doing it for 20 years, that's the way they've always done it. You can tell them, Hey, moving forward, we don't want you to do this. But like, look, this isn't some guy, he, he's got a number of prominent women, right, who I think are now defending him, thank God. They used to run in Colorado. Like, weight does matter in running. I wouldn't emphasize it to women because I feel like if you get fit, your weight's going to come off naturally. I wouldn't do the wings. I don't think you should be doing the wings. I get it. Like, in this day and age, it's just too sensitive a subject. But it kind of does bother me, like, that we can't deal with facts anymore. But hey, hey, that's another editorial I don't want to go on to. But it's like, you, you can't just fire him for something that's not really that bad they have a nutritionist who weighs you who talks to you about it if she's not doing it in a perfect way maybe you get rid of the nutritionist but you don't fire wetmore one of your greatest all-time coaches because somebody's upset and got an eating disorder i mean a lot of wrestlers have eating disorders like you just tell them hey moving forward we don't want you weighing the women period we don't want you judging their fat period because you don't fire him for that do you understand do you guys agree with me I would like to see what this investigation produces because she, this woman who's brought the complaints, she's not the only athlete 
who has had a complaint about the body composition emphasis or you know the the caliper usage that sort of stuff the comparisons to other athletes or previous teams but there are also plenty of athletes who have said I think Mark and Heather are terrific coaches I would stand by them I don't think this is a problem this is why you have an investigation you talk to a lot of people and you realize is this an issue are there things we need to make is it so bad that we have to fire the coach or is it just we need to make a couple tweaks or is everything actually okay and this is just one person who's having problems and you know that sort of thing so I think it's good that looking into it but I also from what I've read and also we've had multiple Colorado athletes who are currently on the team posting on the message board on Let's Run sharing their opinions and from what they're saying it, to me it sounds like okay this is an intense this is a top tier division 1 cross country program they're going to try to take do everything they can to be the best and that includes eating right and to run successfully yeah you have to be kind of skinny but i think some of them are saying it's not in an unhealthy way or at least that's not the way they feel one of them one of the posters said after Katie and Teal that's the woman who filed the complaint told the athletic department about her opinion on the body comps they were very quick in interviewing athletes and changing how body comps are conducted now there is a very clear protocol in place which i think is great for anyone who may feel triggered by it from my experience and from talking to my teammates people seem comfortable and happy in her office under the new protocol i've been on this team for multiple years now and i can say that the team's culture around fueling is the strongest it has ever been our staff are all direct in encouraging healthy fueling and a careful to take and are careful when it comes to sensitive subjects like body comp testing. In part, that is thanks to Katie and Teal letting our AD know. It's crazy how communication works like that. And to me, that seems like a pretty good situation. Again, this is an outside perspective that I'm sharing. But when someone raises a complaint, you look into it and you make changes if necessary. That to me sounds like they're taking the right steps. I think taking an investigation is the right steps. Seems like this could be a lot worse. So I don't know. That's my my two cents. We haven't confirmed who that poster is, right, John? We have the, not. I guess that yeah. For full full disclosure, we don't have a hundred percent confirmation. It's a Colorado athlete. I but. can I can reach out to do, try to do that behind the scenes because they were registered. But Katie Until is the one who wrote this thing complaining. If if that's the thing, if she felt uncomfortable, bring the situation to it, and they've improved the things. That's great. That's where we need to be. Should Robert said, well, you can't be fired for what you did ages ago. You actually can. You know, like people used to do stuff back in the day that they should get fired for. But if it just came out, market really focuses on weight. I don't think you should be fired. Even if he did it sort of in like a, it would have to be really bad for me to be fired. Weight is important in running. I mean, I, I never once actually worried ever about what I ate weight or anything. I was very fortunate that way. But if they have a nutrition who's an assistant athletic director helping this process. And some women, people, men or women, thought, oh, it wasn't done the right way and made them feel uncomfortable. I don't think you should be fired for that. I, I think you improve the process and learn from it and go forward. But having said that, there are tweets from verified ex-CU runners. And they're you know chiming in here. Leslie Higgins. We should have Leslie on, John. Do you know the name Leslie Higgins? A former, who I, 
think she may, I mean, if she still has the password, she would have a former Let's Run moderator. She was just double checking here. I'm about to say, yeah, NCAA runner up in the mile. It's like, I don't think she won. But, I, I, you know, I respect Leslie's opinion. Um, she said, hey, look at all the concerns I brought to the athletic department 20 years ago that were ignored, finally being not ignored. And I was kind of surprised to see that because I would have thought Leslie had a good experience at, at Colorado. But that shows, even if, and I'm, I probably shouldn't speak for her, even if she had a great experience at Colorado, like enjoyed the success, thought it was well, she could still think, wait, they handled this weight thing completely wrong or should have done better, right? So I think hopefully this is a situation where athletes who even had success may have issues and like, hey, you shouldn't do it this way, that sort of thing. But then we have others, Joe Bossard, who's Emma Coburn's coach and husband said, every athlete will have their own experience, but I do want to say that I would love for my kids to be coached by Mark and Heather. Joe Clacker, you know, now runs for on running. In my time at CU, the coaches always care for my well-being ahead of athletic performance. All the issues I had regarding diet and body were directed to the registered dietitian. Joey Lekip, Olympic steeplechaser. If you read the article, please make sure you read all the way to the section opposing sections. Not every athlete shares the viewpoints raised in the allegations. Jake Hertz former Colorado runner, not my experience whatsoever. Mark and Heather cared more about my well-being, finding a job and finishing my degree. So there's just, you know, various opinions. And Kara Wheeler, who's Kara uh, Goucher's sister, points out, if you think this isn't rampant at women's distance, you, you have chosen to turn your head and accept success. There is an entire culture that must be addressed everywhere, all caps, no matter how uncomfortable it's going to be. So I think this issue is, is much bigger than Colorado. And it's, you know, weight matters in running. There's no way around it. I never worried about my own weight, but it matters. And how you deal with that in a healthy way is the best way to do it. And I just hope we get from this to a better situation. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think we need to wait and learn more, right? It's a difficult topic to address with your runners, but I... You also, and some coaches, I don't know, I guess I should talk to coaches to see exactly how they handle it, because I imagine there are some who talk about it a lot more than others. But like you said, well, then, yes, it's not unimportant. It does have an impact on your performance, but if you get obsessed with it, that's not going to be good for anyone in the program, coaches, athletes, anything like that. So I think you just have to be very delicate and intentional about how you discuss issues of weight, body composition, you can't make people feel obsessed about it because even if you're not telling them things directly, like you need to lose weight, even by bringing this stuff up, there is going to be internal pressure. And I thought this quote from the article from Wetmore was telling. He said, we think it's more likely that athletes inevitably compare themselves to their teammates, to their competitors, to athletes who are running faster and perhaps most often to their younger selves. For some athletes, any discussion of nutrition, fueling, or strength to weight ratio, no matter how well intended, might feel like a criticism but none of them can honestly cite an example when an athlete was punished or rewarded for their body composition values. And I think he nailed that. Yes, anytime you bring up this issue of weight, there are going to be some people, I mean, these are teenagers or people in their early 20s who might be self-conscious about this issue, especially when they're comparing themselves to the fittest, thinnest athletes on their campus who happen to be their teammates. 
So it's going to be difficult. And that's why if you are to broach this subject with your athletes, you've got to do it in a careful manner. You've got to offer them their best resources. You've got to make sure the nutritionist is handling things properly as well. You just got to be very careful because it can be a fraught issue and it can lead to problems for a lot of athletes. All right, well, anything else on Colorado, Mark Wetmore, NCAA cross country in general? I love these hypotheticals, Fred. So I just real quickly, John, want to get your take on this one. Would Jakob Ingebrigtsen have won NCAAs? Okay, we had this debate last year, and I leaned to I, – I wasn't totally sure. I was like, oh, Connor Mance, that guy's totally built for cross country. Like, it might be close in a 10K – over hills. Now I really, after what Jakob did last year and just destroying everyone in the 5,000 at Worlds, this isn't even a debate. Yes, Jakob would have won NCAA cross. It wouldn't have been close. Uh, he's the 5,000 meter world champion. Are you telling me the world champion, the best 5,000 meter runner in the world wouldn't be able to win a cross country race against a bunch of college kids? Granted, they're good college kids, but come on. No debate. He would have won easily. Right. And he's European cross country champion as well. I don't even need to find the post in. Someone's like, he would just mop the floor. And I agree. Like, Charles Hicks was the European under-23 champ last year. Jakob was the senior champion. Yeah. And I got to compare their times, but I'm pretty sure Jakob ran faster. And Charles Hicks was the NCAA champ now. Yes. Jakob, no question. I just want to say one final thing about NCAA cross before I leave. I loved it being in Oklahoma. It was fun. It was a cool course. Um, just... Every year of the meet, if you haven't been as a running fan, you need to go. Like people of all ages and walks of life are running all over and no one knows where to go. And you're bombing down hills and up hills. And when we got there, we ran into the Trinity Academy, 3A state champions from Kansas. Afterwards, I saw them getting their pictures taken with NAU. How cool was that? We ran into a, a father son combo from Florida that are big Let's Run fans. It was really cool to see everybody who loved running, appreciate what we do, had fun at the meet. We'll see everyone again next year. Yeah, me too. It's a great championship meet. If you're a running fan, you got to make it to one of these one day. And people from all around the world come, not just Florida or Kansas. On the shuttle to the course, we were sitting ahead of a family from Ireland that had come to run this, watch their son, Mihail Power, of Tulsa run at the championships. It was their first time in the United States. They were staying for a week. They were just, it was funny, uh, you know, talking to the, his brother, I believe, about some of the questions he said, so what's Oklahoma like? And, you know, how does it compare? I'm like, well, it's very, it's interesting because Oklahoma is very different from where I live in the United States, Boston. You know, it's such a, we're such a large country. There are different subcultures spread across. But NCAA Cross, everyone's there for the same reason. They're big fans of running. It's really great. So I can't wait to be in Charlottesville next year, Madison 2024, Columbia, Missouri 2025. I've yet to come away from NCAA meeting. I'm like, man, that's stunk. Like, Top competition, great intensity, fan support, atmosphere. It's awesome. You, you definitely go, and if you're there, make sure you say hello. I met a lot of very friendly Let's Run.com podcast listeners who said that they enjoyed the show. You know, they listened to it on their drive over to the course or something like that. We appreciate that. So, yeah, thanks for everyone for your support. We're glad you're tuning in. And everybody who's signed up, Supporters Club. Give out a special offer. You might want to check the show notes today to see if it's still there. A bunch of people signed up this week. But John, that that poses one problem. They signed up for the second podcast. We always do a second podcast. 
But do we do on the week of Thanksgiving? That might be like the one week we take off. Like, do we have now? Are these people going to like, if we don't do a Friday 15 on the Friday after Thanksgiving, I think maybe that'd be the one day a year we actually skip. Yeah, we're it's a federal holiday. We're allowed to take that one off. Now, if we were to do one, I will say this. The Manchester road race this year is actually quite good. I don't know if you've seen the fields well then, but Connor Mance is running. Cam Levins is running. That's the showdown they're trying to do. Hillary Bohr is also in there, the U.S. steeplechase champion. Sam Chalanga on the men's side. And then on the women's side, Wayne Kaladi is back to defend her title. So, And she's running against Gabriella Debuse Stafford, who is quite a talent over 5,000 meters. You know, we think of her more as a mile, but she's running the 1440s. So it actually should be pretty exciting. Uh, I mean, if we wanted to do a Friday 15, England-USA post-game show, after Friday afternoon's match. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys are going to be willing to come on after we, you know, break your hearts on national television and kick you out of the World Cup, but maybe that's something you'd want to discuss. So I TBD about the Friday 15 this week, but if we don't have one, it's because it's Thanksgiving. I think you guys can all just spend time with your families and you don't need to listen to us for an extra, you know, half an hour this week. John, the Manchester Road Race has great fields almost every year. Man, Connecticut resident, I guess I should go up. I have more pride. But, John, I'm associated. I think I might be running this race next year, like in charge of it. The Rowayton Turkey Trot. Anybody wants a cool and beautiful race, 5K, check it out. Run it this weekend. No prize money. Sorry. Not every race can be for the elites. It's for the masses. But also, John, if, I, if I'm working the race, I can't run it, right? I don't do this Dave McGill. What's his name? Dave McGilvery? Yeah. Like the Boston Marathon race director runs it every year. It seems like, no, you got to be in, you got to be there in case something happens. The general's got to be manning the troops. But it's gotten cold here. And that got me thinking, John. Back to NCAs, one more thing. Apparently, the most well-attended NCAs in terms of attendance was the Division III NCAs. It was held somewhere there was snow, John. Do you know where it was held? Lansing, Michigan, I believe. Okay, yeah, I forgot I did look that up. And you were saying earlier, if you're really smart, of course, you go to Stanford. I don't know, John, if you're really, really smart, you might go to MIT because shout out to the MIT men who won the title, Johns Hopkins women. And, John, the Division II Nationals were not this weekend. Were you aware of that? Yeah, because every few years they do this thing called the Fall Festival where they have all the D2 championships from, like, all the fall sports in the same city. And when they do that, it's, like, the first weekend in December. Nothing gets past you. I posted on this thread. I'm like, wait, I don't remember D2 Nationals being after. And they're like, oh, it's a festival year. And it sounded like some sort of, like, I don't know, like it's a some sort of fake thing on the internet you see, or like it's like it's a cicada year. I'm like, what is a festival year? But it sounds like such a great concept. I think maybe more, maybe Division One should have a festival year or something. I don't know. Or maybe we could have a cross country festival. We have the NCAA cross country, and then we have like the I don't know the club nationals. Well, they do this for European athletics, like this. The last few Euro champions, I think 
when the Euro Championships are not in Olympic years, they will have it all sports. Like, that's why they're in Munich this past year. It was because Munich was also hosting the European Championships and a bunch of other sports. So I do kind of like the idea. Uh, what I like about the D2 Championships, though, is that they're at Chambers Bay in Seattle. And I like that in recent years, the NCAA has been moving the NCAA cross-country championships around. For a while, it was only in Terre Haute, or it was Terre Haute and Louisville. And not that those places don't do a great job hosting. It's just more exciting to see more parts of the country, to run in different courses, different skill sets. So the West Coast, that's really the one place that hasn't had a meet recently because we're going to have Virginia next year. And that's going to be the first time the East Coast has hosted in a while. So Chambers Bay, they hosted the US Open in 2015 in golf. I'm sure that would be a really cool place to run. Maybe the greens and fairways would be a little too manicured for the diehard cross fans, but on the on the Pacific Ocean, that would be a pretty sweet place to have it. So that's my plea, is for the next round of NCAA cross-country, at least one West Coast venue, because the West Coast fans deserve to have NCAA cross out there at least once as well. Now, you were talking about cold weather. I think you had a point you wanted to make here about NCAA cross. Well, then, one athlete in particular. Oh, thank you. Vincent Kiprop? Victor Kiprop. Yeah, damn it. I was about to say Victor. Vincent, it's, it's confusing because Alabama did have a guy called Vincent Kiprop. Uh, a couple, he basically, he was Mercy Challengard's sister. He won, you know, he was close to winning an NCAA championship. So I do get why it might be confusing. Okay, I wasn't totally off base. Undefeated on the season, heading into Stillwater. He finishes. 76th place? 66th. 66th. Are we allowed to say stereotypes? Everyone always says, Kenyans don't run well in the cold. We've had exceptions to that rule, but... Yeah, well, here's the thing. Just to me, it seems in general, we have fewer Kenyans in the NCAA right now. I don't know whether that's COVID or not, but normally these meets, you have at least one or two Kenyans are in the discussion to win. And for a long time, we didn't have a US champion because... It was Lavula Lang, and then it was Kennedy Kathuka, and then it was Edward Cesarek. And Victor Kiprop, we thought, was going to be the guy contending this year, but he clearly... He didn't run well at NCAAs last year in the heat, though, either. He DNF'd in Tallahassee. So I don't know if it's necessarily the cold or whatever. But yeah, I, I will say, Weldon, when I was like, oh, it's going to be in the 30s and windy. I don't know. It, it made me a little bit more skeptical of his chances knowing nothing about him so maybe that is negative stereotyping but like you said we've also had guys win in cold weather as well so i don't know it was interesting to note though that he, he's bombed the last two ncaa's yeah and this festival thing actually john there's a cross-country race next week and i will be there next week it's the what's it called sound running Fitness Bank Cross Country Champs in Austin at the running events. It's looking pretty good, John. Drew Hunter running. Mainly Joe Klecker. The, I think the Odd Athletics Club is the top men's team. Hanson Brooks will be there. Looks like the Bowerman B team. I don't know. I'm not, but on the women's side, I mean, I'm just looking at this very quickly. The TaylorMade Elite team will be there, John, competing as a team. Odd Athletics. Alicia Bonson. Um, Emily Enfield, 
Funeral O'Keefe. That looks pretty good to me. So you're going to be there in person? I'll be there. All right. Well, have fun with that. Yeah, next next week we got plenty on the calendar because we've got that and we're going to have Caitlin Tui and who knows who else going for this Fast 5K in Boston. And we're also going to have the Valencia Marathon. We'll have boots on the ground coverage. I'll be there for that. So next week is going to be jam-packed with stuff to talk about. Uh, but the rest of this week, it's really just the Manchester Road Race, whatever your local turkey trot is, you know, and then World Cup at the weekend, of course. Uh-oh. Our apologies to them. Our Mexican viewers. Penalty's just been called against Mexico. All right, John. Hopefully we're still talking. You're still employed on Friday. We'll decide about the Friday 15. Just, if you win by a lot, just watch what you say. I'll try not to get too cocky. I mean, look, the last time, the last two times England has played the U.S. in the World Cup, it hasn't worked out that well for England. We lost in 1950, and we only tied in 2010 when Robert Green couldn't handle Clint Dempsey's sh- shot. So let's hope things change on Friday in Qatar. All right, until then, Weldon. No, John, you got to wait till this penalty kick here. Let's see. He's lining it up. Placing it down. Well, I think you're behind me, though. How, what are you on the clock? I'm 56, 54. I'm 57. Oh, then you can't give it away. Okay, I'm a few seconds ahead. I'll pretend. Robert Lewandowski. I don't think he's ever scored in the World Cup. What are you at? I'll start mine when you go back on. 57, 11. I'm 57, 11 now. Right, here we go. It's lining up. Oh! oh! <laughs> Saved it! Saved. I don't believe it. Robert Lewandowski, one of the most lethal strikers in all of Europe. Saved by Guillermo Ochoa. Mexico rejoices. Why couldn't that have happened yesterday? All right, everybody. This is it. The one time a year we do a Black Friday sale. We use code GOAT. 50 G-O-A-T 50 five, zero. Link in the show notes. You'll save 50% off a Supporters Club membership for one year. Do it now. Now is your chance. Feeling super generous. And it's Black Friday. Thanks to everyone who signed up. Once you sign up, you'll be a member for life. Sign up today. 50% off. You sign up for a year, you get an amazingly soft shirt. You save on running shoes. You get a second podcast every week. Link in the show notes. Code GOAT50.